Well, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and uh, I don't feel like this is a coincidence. Uh, we've been looking at the, the letter to the church at Corinth for quite some time now, and if you remember, uh, the title of this series is A Challenged Church, <laughs> A Challenged Church, and the church in Corinth was definitely facing challenges. They were facing challenges on the inside, and they were facing challenges on the outside. And it all comes back to what my brother Bentley Curry just said just a few moments ago. Satan is our enemy. And Satan wants to come against us, right? He wants to come against us. And let me tell you why he wants to come against us. Because we are image bearers of God. We are created in the image of God, and therefore Satan, he wants to destroy. He wants to destroy anyone in the image of God, anything in the image of God, he wants to destroy it. Jesus tells us in John chapter 10, that's what he came for, to steal, kill, and destroy. And it's all because we identify in Christ Jesus. We identify as children of God. So we know the church at Corinth faced challenges uh, inside and out. Um, These young believers, because this was a young church, uh, they were still facing battles uh, between the flesh and the spirit. Uh, They were facing um, religious battles, but they were also facing cultural battles. Uh, this was a multicultural society. They, um, they witnessed many forms of worship, pagan worship, and Paul understood that. He understood where they were. He understood when they were, and he understood the message that they were trying to proclaim, uh, both uh, with their mouth and with their actions. And Paul wanted them to focus on Jesus. He wanted them to focus on Jesus so that when they spoke and when they reached out, it was Jesus Christ who would be glorified. It was Jesus Christ who would be magnified. Now when we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, we come to an interesting topic, okay? Uh, The other thing I like to, to tell you is when we look at these letters that Paul wrote to the churches, we must look at the context. We must look at where this church is the cultural issues they are facing, and we must remember the time, right? The time, the audience, the people that he was talking to. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, what this is, this is Paul's message to the Corinthian church about worship and order in the church. Worship and order in the church. And so we need to remember that much of what Paul was addressing was with this Corinthian church and the culture and the cultures that she was facing. Uh, We can't take things out of context uh, and we can't force one context into another. So let's just focus on what was happening in Corinth during this time and, and what was happening both in the church and in the home. So let's begin 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and I'm going to read a lengthy passage. Bear with me, it will be on the screen, but uh, you can look there in your Bibles as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I'm going to read verses 2 through 16. So here we go. Verse 2, I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the traditions just as I passed them on to you. Let me remind you as we move forward here, these traditions, he was not talking about man's traditions. He was talking about the tradition of the Word of God, the traditions passed down from the Word of God, not from man. So he says, I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the traditions just as I passed them on to you. But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ 
and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same as having her head shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off. But if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, then she should cover her head. A man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. It is for this reason that a woman ought to have authority over her own head because of the angels. And he's talking about the time when the angels rejected God, rebelled against God, and fell. And I'll get to that in a few moments. Verse 11, Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of the man, nor is man independent of woman. For as a woman came from a man, so also man is born of woman. But everything comes from God. Judge for yourselves, is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. For long hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. So I want you to see first and foremost, Paul begins this part of the letter with praise. He is praising the Corinthian church. They know who Paul is and they know whom he preaches. He preaches Christ. He's already said this, I preach Christ and Christ crucified. That's who he preaches. So they know who he preaches and they just need to be reminded of the message of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he realizes they are facing issues. As a matter of fact, they've already faced the issue of, uh, of, of singleness and marriage, divorce. They've already faced that issue. They've already faced the issue of homosexuality. They've already faced those issues. And so now they face another issue. And to address the issues of public worship, because that's what this was about, it was about public praying and prophesying. So to address that issue, Paul points to headship. He points to headship. Let me explain what that means. So in Paul's day, the word head or the word headship, it had a variety of meanings. More often than not, the word head was a term used to mean source and or authority. And so in this passage, Paul gives us examples of headship, but he did not give them to the Corinthian church for comparison. Rather, he gave them these illustrations of headship for creative order. This is the way God designed and created. That is the way Paul has been speaking to the church at Corinth from the very beginning. Let's remember This is how God created things. This is the order and the design that God made, not man. And so that's what Paul is doing here. He's pointing to headship. This is about guidance and leadership, both within the home but also within the church. 
Uh, Also, like I said earlier, when it comes to tradition, Paul was not merely talking about holding to the traditions of man. He was talking about traditions handed down through the Word of God. So let me tell you something else about headship. Because if we're not careful, this world, when you hear the word headship, they want you to focus on authority. They want you to focus on inferiority. But in fact, headship does not point to inferiority. It points to design. Paul was not using headship as less than, greater than. That's not what he was doing. He, he was pointing to design. Uh, you know I love Dr. David Jeremiah. Uh, he's one of my favorite preachers. Listen to how Dr. David Jeremiah uh, explains this in his commentary. He says, Too often the church conveys to women that to be under the headship of their husband means to be inferior, but that is not so. The biblical structure is modeled in the relationship between God the Father and God the Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, in every way, is equal to the Father. He is he he just as has a different role within the familial relationship and voluntarily voluntarily submits to the father to help fulfill the objectives of their life together. And so Dr. David Jeremiah points to the relationship of God the Father and God the Son. If you'll remember, uh, Jesus Christ was there in creation. Jesus Christ has always been. He he is not a created being. He was with God in the beginning. He created with God in the beginning. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But when Jesus came into this world, he came into this world fully God, but like I said this morning, fully what? Fully man. And so he submitted to the Father's role for him in this life. And that's what Dr. David Jeremiah is talking about. And even so, uh, even so, Paul was not saying that every man, when he talked about the relationship between the man and the woman, it's very easy to look at that and go, this is a blanket statement. No. When Paul was speaking about the man and the woman, he was talking about a husband and a wife. He was not talking about every man over every woman or every woman uh, out of every man. He was looking at the role of husband and wife in the home. And so it does not mean that the husband is superior to the wife or that the wife is an inferior to the husband. It's about the structure and the design that was created by God, a design of guidance and leadership and unity in the roles that God has created. And I'm going to tell you, as a husband, as a wife, as a man and a woman, do you know what our priority is or what it should be? It should be to glorify God. It should be to worship God the way He created us and with what He has given us, right? It should be to glorify God and worship God. And I'm telling you, that's Paul's heart. That's Paul's heart to this church at Corinth who was having some issues. And what were the issues they were having right here? It was the issue about praying and prophesying in public. A man comes in, uh, his head is covered. A woman comes in, her head is uncovered. Let me explain that for you, okay? Uh, and I'm going to tell you, not only was it, was it big in Jewish culture, but pagan culture, they also had ways of doing things too. And Paul understood that. So let's focus on the Jewish culture because who's he speaking to? He's speaking to the church. He's speaking to the church uh, in Corinth. 
So in Jewish culture, all right, when a man covered his head while praying or prophesying, it signified sinfulness. So in Jewish culture, as it's passed down, right, through the years, what happened was when a Jewish man covered his head while praying and prophesying, he was focused and broken about his sinfulness, okay? And what Paul wanted the Corinthian church to know was they were believers covered in Christ and they were forgiven of their sins. And so for a man to wear a covering while praying or prophesying was actually shameful and it dishonored the sacrificial death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, Even in pagan worship, in pagan worship, it was a common practice to pray to their gods while their heads were covered. So do you see what Paul is dealing with here? He's wanting them, them to make sure they know who they are in Christ and how they are to worship while praying and prophesying. But he also wants to remind them, if you do the old things, right, and dishonor Christ, you're also identifying with how pagans worship. And so this is a very important issue. Uh, This pagan worship, by the way, as we've already seen in the letter uh, to Corinth, uh, pagan worship was infiltrating the church. Whether it was intentional, and some of that was intentional, or even unintentional. Because what was this Corinthian church doing? They were reaching all people, not just Jews. This Corinthian church was filled with Gentiles. But those Gentiles brought with them into the church their old habits and their old traditions and their old hang-ups and all of those things. And so Paul understood that. And listen, he, he, he wanted them to worship properly. And so that's what was going on with the men. Okay, so let's turn to the ladies now. In Jewish culture, when a woman uncovered her head, when she uncovered her head while praying or prophesying, it dishonored Christ in the church, but it also dishonored her husband in the home. Again, during Paul's day in the Corinthian culture, uh, there were several issues taking place. And and undoubtedly, in the church, based on what I've studied, undoubtedly what was going on in the church was there were some of the ladies who were flaunting their freedom, right? They believed they had the freedom to speak and do whatever they wanted, apart from God and even apart from their husbands. I love Dr. Warren Wiersbe, and Dr. Warren Wiersbe said uh, that while these women were praying and prophesying publicly, they not only were dishonoring God, they were dishonoring their husbands. Uh, Another issue that we have to consider, that Paul considered, was that during this time, some women were shaving their heads so that they could look like men. They were basically taking on manly traits so that they could act and be like men. That was happening. That was happening in Corinth, right? And not only was that happening in Corinth, that was happening in the church. And so Paul, he understood what was going on. Let me tell you another thing about their culture. In their culture, prostitutes. Do you know how it was easy to spot a prostitute in the street? It wasn't about the jewelry she was wearing. It was about her hair. It was a common cultural thing in Corinth that prostitutes would cut their hair short so that they could be easily identified. That's what was happening in that cultural context. 
And also, women who were prostitutes during that time, they would not cover their heads in public. It was an easy target, an easy spot. And that's what was happening. And so Paul wanted them to understand what was going on in their church when they were praying and prophesying and they were doing it this way or they were doing it that way. Paul was saying, you must honor God. You must submit and honor God. You must be reverent in the house of the Lord and do things properly. So he wanted it to be proper worship. He wanted it to be order within the church. Uh, Paul understood the cultural context, but he also understood the theological context. And he said, you must use discernment within the body. What is bringing God glory? What is bringing God honor? And I'm going to tell you, that's what this was about. This was about submitting to God. This was about honoring God with their worship and their order. Uh, Dr. Warren Wiersbe goes on to say this in his commentary. He says, both women and men of Corinth were called by God to honor him. And they did this by respecting the headship. That's what he said. Respecting the headship. And again, the headship is the creative order and the creative design by God for the home and for the church. And so uh, let's move forward because uh, there's some more issues, okay? And I'm going to move through these quickly, but I want you to see them. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 through 22. Paul says this, In the following directives, I have no praise for you. Now hold on, Okay. Because in the last one he said, I praise you, right? Because you're striving. You're striving to do what is right, but you're confused, right? So now he says this, in the following directives, I have no praise for you. In other words, you know what you're doing now. You you know what you're doing now, and it's pretty clear what you're doing is wrong. So now he's calling them out, point blank, okay? Watch this. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. Did you have any clue what I was preaching tonight? Did you have any clue that that word was going to come up? You did not, so God did. God did. You remember the very first message in this series? You remember what it was titled? Divisions. It's happening, right? Not just in Corinth. It's happening in Start. It's happening all over. You want to know why? Because Satan don't like what's going on in our churches when we praise God and we give Him glory. Satan don't like it when we praise Jesus and we obey and love and follow Jesus. He don't like that. So guess what he's going to do? He's going to try to stir that pot up. He's going to try to get in anywhere he can to divide. It's the animal kingdom principle, right? I used to love that show, Wild Kingdom, when I was a kid. Uh, Mama, you remember that? It'd come on every Saturday afternoon, and I was glued to it. Like, that was the show, the Wild Kingdom. I liked that old man. I can't remember his name now, but that old man, like he had a great voice. What was it? Oh, my goodness. Perkins. That's, yeah, does it still come on? Oh, buddy. I hope Marty's not here because we're going to, yeah, that home and garden TV fixing to go. Anyway, what I loved about Wild Kingdom was he would always show these animals and he always said, divide and conquer. You remember that? 
Any of you that watched it, he said that all the time. Divide and conquer. Divide. He's going to divide the weaker animal from the herd. Or he's going to divide the, the hurt animal from the... Divide and conquer. It's the animal kingdom. He used to say that all the time. Look at what Satan's doing, right? Divisions, right? So he says, in the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. Now, why is he saying I believe it right now? Because he's already dealt with it. And now he's dealing with it again, right? No doubt. There have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. And he's speaking to them like them. So then, when you come together, it's not, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. So what is the issue? The issue is how they're taking the Lord's Supper. How they're taking communion, right? Which is supposed to be about unity. And look at what it is. Oh, it's divided. Paul says, how dare you, right? No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat or drink, uh, and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? Not only are they divided, they're also looking down on others. They're looking down on others. Do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. So Paul's tone has changed. And it's very simple, all right? The Corinthians were divided at the Lord's table. A place where they should come together and every eye should be focused and every heart should be pointed to Jesus. That was not happening. That was not happening, right? They were divided at the Lord's table. What should have been a time of intimate worship as the body of Christ had become a circus. That's the word I used. It was a circus, right? A free ring circus is what it was. A party and it was filled with division and discrimination. They were looking at the outward appearance, even sinfulness, and they were separating from one another. Some ate their own suppers. Some didn't eat while others got drunk. But it's very obvious what the problem was. They weren't focused on Christ. They were focused on self. They were focused on self. They were not honoring God. Guess who they were honoring? Self, right? The Corinthians were discriminating against those who had little or nothing. Instead of being vessels of God's love and grace and mercy to each other and to anyone and everyone, they were the opposite. And it said uh, that you were, he said to the Corinthian church, uh, you are demonstrating a despise, right? A despise of the church of God. I'm going to tell you, we don't ever want that to be a title, a title of our churches, Right? to be ones that are labeled as um, despising the church of God, humiliating the church of God. And I'm going to tell you, when you take your focus off of Jesus Christ, when you start to look down upon others, when you start to look in judgment and condemnation on others, that, that, that's very easy. That's very easy to become. One that despises the church, humiliates the church. So Paul is going to point them in a proper form of worship, a proper way to take the Lord's Supper. Look at it in verse 23. I know you've read this many times. You've had it read to you many times. Uh, but listen to it 
in the context of this whole chapter. For I received from the Lord, right? For what I received from the Lord, uh, what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, in other words, focused on, praying about, being led by the Spirit on the body of Christ, they eat and they drink judgment on themselves. And look at verse 30. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, We are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. He's making that very clear, isn't he? You should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give you further directions. So... Again, let's talk about the Lord's Supper. Let's talk about what was happening. First and foremost, Paul reminded the Corinthians of the purpose of the Lord's Supper. He reminded them of the purpose of communion, the Lord's Supper. The Corinthians, and and I would say it's probably both intentionally and unintentionally, uh, they had used it for revelry. They had used it as a circus, as a show. Uh, There's also record that shows they used it for political and social purposes. In other words, some of them had every intention to divide, to invite people that could favor them and help them, right? And to push away those who could not. And so uh, I believe it was both intentional and unintentional. Uh, And that's why there were divisions. The Lord's Supper, right, should never be political, It should never be about you or me. It should always be about the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made. His perfect life, His death on the cross, and His resurrection. It should always be about Christ. It was supposed to be about Jesus. It was supposed to be about being right with God because of the work of Jesus Christ and not your work or my work. It wasn't the law that saved them. It was Jesus Christ that saved them. It wasn't the law supper. It was the Lord's supper, right? That's what it was. And so Paul makes it clear that the words he spoke were given to him by who? By the Lord. So again, this wasn't a man tradition. This was biblical tradition being handed down and passed down. And it's very clear. The bread represented the body of Jesus. Bread represent Jesus said, this is my body. When you take that bread in your hand, when you put that bread in your mouth, that is the body of Jesus Christ. 
that was given for you and for me. The cup represented the new covenant. That's what Jesus said. This cup represents the new covenant, which was in his blood. All right? So another one of my favorite pastors, Dr. Tony Evans, I love what he says. Listen to what he says. This was the institution of the church ordinance that we know as the Lord's Supper. The new covenant refers to the new relationship that God established through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is what the Lord's Supper is all about. That is why it should be taken together, right? In Christ, we are one. There's one spirit, one baptism, one Lord. Paul's got another message for that to another church, but I wanted to go ahead and tell you, he says that too, right? This is about the body of Christ coming together focused on Jesus Christ. And so he uses this word remembrance. Let me tell you about that word remembering. Remembering is not just thinking. It's not just thinking. It is also proclaiming. Remembering is not just thinking about something. Remembering is thinking about something with the intention to move forward. Right? So remembering is not just thinking, it's proclaiming. This is a time of unity in the body, a time of reflection, yes, both personal but also corporate, and it is a a time of anticipation for what is to come because what does Jesus say? He says, do this in remembrance of me. And, And listen, they were looking for him to come back, right? They were looking for him to come back. And so this wasn't just thinking about what happened in the past. This was, yes, thinking about what happened in the past and what are we doing now to move forward. And so thinking, right, and proclaiming. Remembering is thinking and proclaiming. Uh, Paul goes on and he also talks about the unworthy manner, right? So let me explain that for you. An unworthy manner of taking communion points to taking something that should be sacred and making it common. That's what he was talking about. I, I love this. Uh, Paul was, he was talking about abusing the time of communion. Paul wasn't saying that we were required to come to the table without any sin in our lives. That's not what he was talking about. Because guess what? If that's what he was talking about, how many of us in this room could have communion tonight? None of us. He was not talking about that. He was talking about abusing the Lord's Supper. He was talking about making something that should be intimate worship of Jesus Christ alone and making it just common every day. This was not common. This was nothing to be done lightly or taken lightly. It it should be taken seriously and and with all of our heart poured out in worship. And it was a symbol of unity, right? Unity that is demonstrated in the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one. And so Paul, he called for believers to examine themselves, examine themselves as they focused on Jesus, this was a call to examine the individual heart, but also to look around and examine the corporate heart. Hey, church body, are we okay? Hey, church body, are we focused on who we should be focused on? You see that? Yes, the individual heart. Lord, am I focused on you right now? But it's also the leaders looking each other in the eye and saying, hey, are, are we ready for this? 
Do we understand the seriousness of what we're doing? Are our hearts pointed in the same direction uh, as individuals and our heart as a body pointed in the right direction? Examine ourselves. I find something else in this passage of Scripture um, that we need to hit before we dismiss, and that is the consequences of sin are real. The consequences of sin are real. Now, the Bible tells us that sin results in suffering. It results in brokenness. It results in sickness. And it even results in death. But the Bible also tells us, right, and teaches us that not all suffering and not all sickness and not all death is a result of one's own sinfulness. As a matter of fact, what about Job? Again, did you look at my notes? Because you got up here and read the book of Job, and I ain't playing with you, brother. I'm going to talk about Job right now, right? All right, since you allowed me and invited me. The Bible says Job was righteous. That's what the Bible says. It says Job was a righteous man. Yet what happened to Job? He suffered. He suffered. Job got sick. But Job was righteous. And so what happened to Job wasn't because of his own sinfulness. I love this. When Jesus healed the blind man, we talked about this in the book of Mark a few sermons ago on Sunday morning. When Jesus healed the blind man, his disciples asked him a question. Do you all remember this? He said, Lord, why is this man blind? Was it his sin or his parents' sin that, that he's blind? Do you remember what Jesus said to him? It was neither his sin nor his parents' sin that he is blind. He wasn't saying that this man was without sin, and he wasn't saying that this man's parents was without sin. He said this man is not blind because of his own sin or because of the sins of his parents. You know what he said? He's blind because the glory of God is about to be revealed. Sometimes sickness and suffering and even death is about God's glory. But as we see in this passage of Scripture, and I, 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 that's why I said the consequences of sin are real, sometimes sickness and weakness and, yes, death, it has everything to do with one's own sinfulness. And Paul calls it out right here. Hey, church, a lot of you have been sick. Hey, church, a lot of you are suffering right now. Hey, church, a lot of you, a lot of you have been, a, you're, you're asleep, right? He, he was talking about ones who died. And he said it could very well be that you are sinning before God. You are focused on yourself and you're rejecting God and you're rejecting His commands and you're, you're turning away from true worship of God and you're worshiping self. And judgment has fallen upon you. And I'm going to tell you, I love this because Paul makes it very clear. God will discipline those he loves, won't he? He'll discipline those he loves. And why will he discipline those he loves? Because he does not want them to fall in the final condemnation. Now Paul's talking about what's going to happen come end time. There will be a final condemnation poured out upon the world, upon those who have rejected Jesus Christ as Lord and rebelled against God. God disciplines those He loves. Sometimes that hand of discipline is tough, isn't it? Sometimes, sometimes it's painful. But God does that 
because He loves you and He loves me. And so Paul's message, if I could tie this all up with a pretty bow at the end, and I'm just going to tell you, this is a hard passage of Scripture to study and a hard passage of Scripture to teach. And I know I have not uncovered every stone, but what Paul ultimately was doing was he was encouraging the Corinthians towards unity in the body and reverence for God. That's what he wanted. He wanted unity in the body. He wanted them to worship God properly. He wanted them to embrace the design and the creative order that God had given them, both in the home, but most importantly in the church right now because that's the issue he's focused on. He wanted them to have a reverence for God because if we are reverent before God, then we will worship Him in spirit and in truth. And what did I say this morning? What did Jesus tell His his followers and and John, what what is God looking for? He's looking for those who what? Worship in spirit and in truth. That's what he wants. And I believe that was Paul's heart. I I believe he wanted them to be true, spirit-filled worshipers. He wanted them to be leaders in their homes, yes, but he wanted them to be leaders in the church and he wanted them to glorify God when they came together, when they were praying and prophesying. He said, you've got to understand who you are. And you've got to understand the ways of God. You've got to understand the scriptures. You also have to understand that there are people watching. Right? The culture that you are in. You've got to understand. You've got to understand why. Why we do it this way. And it wasn't just the head coverings or not the head coverings. It was also the Lord's Supper. And so Paul wanted them to be difference makers. He wanted them to be difference makers in Corinth because, again, this was a large city filled with so many people and there were many, 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 many lost people, pagan worshipers. And Paul said you can't reach them with your own gospel. You have to reach them with the gospel of Christ because it's the gospel of Christ that saves. Amen?